have a little bit of a dilemma, and uh, we won't spend too much time with it, but um, I set my Bible down somewhere and I can't find it. Um, I'm not sure how that makes me look, but that's just the reality of it. The good news is that I have most of that passage memorized, and so I think we'll be okay without it. Um, I'll be good if y'all be good. Are you good? You trust me? Um, you know, every preacher has kind of his, I don't know, like a sugar stick sermon. Maybe you've, you've heard that phrase before. What, what, what it is, is, um, is it's a, well, the best way to explain it is that if I was visiting a church and the pastor passed out and they said, we need somebody to preach, there are about four or five passages where I could just grab the pastor's Bible, I could just walk up on stage and open it up to, you know, one of three or four passages and just go right at it. Like, my life passage is John chapter 4, and Karen could wake me up at 3 o'clock in the morning and say, John 4, go. And I would say, and it came to pass that Jesus heard that the disciples were baptizing more. I mean, I could just go right with it. I know that passage of Scripture. Uh, if somebody called me today from, say, Whitley's funeral home and said, listen, we have a funeral here today at 2 o'clock, and the preacher that was going to be preaching over the message uh, has got the flu, and uh, some, we, we need somebody to come and help, I would ride over with my Bible, open it up to Psalm 23, and go. I could handle it. Can you all hear me? Am I? Okay. Um, John chapter 15 is one of those passages. And the reason I could preach from John 4 or Psalm 23 or John 15, like I'm going to be preaching from today, is because those passages of Scripture have meant so much to me in the past. And uh, I don't have a very long message this morning. The reason for that is because uh, we're doing this family style, so we've got little kids in the room, and they're not going to listen to me preach for 40 minutes without um, being issues for mom and dad. So I'm just going to bring you a couple of words this morning, and then we're going to pray, and we're going to go home. Can you imagine what it would have been like to be one of the disciples of Jesus. I mean, not, not one of us, because we're all followers of Jesus. I mean, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you are a follower. But can you imagine what it would, it would have been like to be one of the original 12 disciples who followed behind Jesus and uh, learned from him? I mean, uh, the, the great experiences that they must have had with Jesus. And you know, a lot of times when we're reading in the Gospels, we sort of think that, well, this happened one day, and the very next day this happened, and then the next day this miracle occurred. But really, the teachings and the miracles, the events, the episodes that take place in the Gospels happen over about a three-year period. And John, also one of the disciples and the author of the Gospel of John, he says that if all of the things that Jesus had said or done were recorded in books, that the whole world could not hold everything that Jesus said or did. So Jesus did a whole lot more and said a whole lot more than what we had in the Gospels. And so it must have been like to follow Jesus, it must have been like trying to have a drink of water from a fire hydrant. 
Can you imagine trying to take it all in and the things that many of us spend a lifetime trying to learn, all that we have just in the four Gospels, and again, they're experiencing everything, and it takes us a lifetime to try to figure it all out and get our, our minds and our lives around what Jesus had to say, and these guys are experiencing it live and in person. Well, because of that, there are several moments in their life with Jesus when they just say, time out. We need you to bottom line this. We need you to tell us, okay, what do you really want us to do? Can you sum it all down into maybe a few verses or just a statement or two? And so John 15, verses 12 through 17 are are one of those bottom line kind of moments when Jesus says to his disciples, not only those who followed him then, but all of us who would follow him today, he says, okay, this is what I want. This is my commandment, that you love one another. I want you to love each other. And then he says, Greater love hath no man than this, than that he lay down his life for his friend. And then he says to those guys, You are my friend if you do what I command you to do. And then he explains the nature of their relationship. And he says, you didn't choose me, I chose you. And I chose you to go out into the world to bring other people into this circle, into this community of faith, so that one day in heaven together we would all abide there. And then he sums it all up again there in verse 17. This is my command. I want you to love each other. You know, love is an interesting word, isn't it? In our culture, it's almost like a wastebasket word, don't you think? Because it just kind of goes in one ear and goes out the other. And it's because of the ways that we use the word love. Because we can use it to say, oh, I love my wife and I love my kids or I love my husband or I love my friends. Or I just love a really good ribeye steak and a baked potato. Amen. But you see what I mean? So how do, you, how do you qualify that? How do you quantify that? How do you put some kind of formula? How does it have value? Because the word is kind of robbed a little bit of its value. Jesus knew that that was the danger of his disciples when he was speaking to them all those years ago, 2,000 years ago, roughly. Another time, another place, a different culture, but the word love is just overused. And if he would have just said, hey, I want you guys to love each other. He knew that there was a danger of the meaning of that just being lost. And so instead of them just saying, oh, love each other, there's no real way to measure that, so I don't have to love somebody else. He says, this is how you love each other. I want you to be willing to give your life for the people that you're sitting here with. You know, most of us, when we think about Jesus, we just think, you know, in that Jesus, he's just so sweet. You just love him. He's just a nice guy. Jesus, for most of us in our culture, he just doesn't have any teeth. And we, we don't really get the full impact of who Jesus is. You know, um, there are places that actually describe Jesus in the Scriptures. And... Uh, 
He's described in one place as being a guy that you wouldn't even pick out in a crowd. Just a regular looking guy. He's a construction worker. Do you know that? Any construction workers here? Where are you guys at? Give me a big woo-hoo. You, you don't sound like construction workers, but okay. I, I thought it'd be like a hoo-hoo, yeah, something like that. But Jesus was, a, Jesus was a tough guy. He was a construction worker. He was a Finnish carpenter. And a tough guy. When Jesus is saying to his disciples, then and now, I want you to love each other, it's not like a sweet little warm and fuzzy kind of love because he says, I want you to love each other to the point that you're willing to die for one another. And you know, the people who followed Jesus, those original disciples, they, they weren't just kind of wimpy sort of guys either themselves. And if you think about who some of these men are, it's kind of astonishing, really, that Jesus would tell them to love each other because let me, let me just describe a couple of them for you. I, I can't give you, like, social security numbers for these guys or anything like that. We don't have that kind of detail but, but let me tell you a little bit about these guys. There's one guy sitting around this campfire who was a tax collector. And his name is Matthew or Levi, and so we know he's Jewish. And let me tell you, anybody here work for the IRS? Are you willing to say it? I mean, it's okay. We've got to, well, we all work for the IRS, don't we? If you don't pay your taxes on April 15th, you'll find out you work for them. They'll come find you. They'll come get there. We don't think very much of the IRS these days. But let me tell you something. In Jesus' time, in that culture, tax collectors were hated people. Because here's the way the Romans would do this. The Romans would decide, okay, we want 40% of push your headset plug in. Is that better? All right, where was I? You can tell we're very casual, very loose today, aren't we? What the Romans would decide, oh, that's much better. I can, oh, yeah, that's great. Y'all want me to start over? (laughs) Guys, that hurts, I just want to tell you. It hurts. And Jesse, you can't come next week because I heard you the most. So... You're off my Christmas list this year. You too, Emma. You're down there laughing about it. But the way the Romans would do this is they would decide, okay, we want, we want 40% of your income this year. And so they would hire a Jewish person to go in and collect the taxes. And so the Jewish guy, he could go in and say, okay, what I'm collecting is 60%. Because the Roman government, they get their 40, but I'm going to make my living on the extra 20. So it's not just like you have a lousy job because you got stuck working for the government. But you prosper with the government on the backs of other people. You see, they hated a tax collector. And so one of those guys is sitting in the circle. But then either next to him or right around In the circle somewhere, there is a guy named Simon who is nicknamed the Zealot. 
And Simon is one of those guys who like to talk about politics all the time, but not just talk about it. He's one of those guys where he would gather up a group of people and they would move out to the Midwest somewhere and buy a big farm and start stockpiling Chinese-made weapons and plotting some coup to take over the government. The fact that he is a zealot, it's a nickname that just says, this guy, if you're a Roman, he's a terrorist. If you're a Jew, he's a freedom fighter. But his whole life is aimed at knocking off the Roman government. So you have Simon the Zealot, who hates Romans and traitors like Matthew, yet Matthew is either beside him or at least a part of the 12. He's sitting there in the circle. And Jesus very well may have said, I want you guys to love each other. And as he's saying it, he's pointing at Simon and pointing at Matthew and saying, I want you to love each other to the point that you're willing to die for each other. Now, doesn't that up the ante of everything? That takes it to a whole nother level, doesn't it? For those guys, it literally could have meant giving their life. Jesus said, they hated me, they'll hate you. If they harm me, they'll harm you. All of the disciples, except for John, who wrote this gospel, were martyred for their faith, and John died in exile on the island of Patmos, a Roman prison island. They did give their life for their friends. You and I probably won't have to do that. you and I are being asked really to do something even harder. I think what Jesus would say to us today with this is I want you to be willing to die to yourselves for each other. Before we move into that building, that's what I've come to say this morning. Just one last chance. One more opportunity to say to all of us that it's not about you and it's not about me. The call to come to Christ is the call to come and die. And while it may not cost us our physical life, it will cost us our life. And if I hadn't lost you, let me explain what I mean by all of this. When, when I make this statement, I don't, I don't mean for you to think about every church. I don't mean for you to think about every Christian you know or every pastor that you know. But you know, some churches just don't have love in them. I work with church planters, uh, lots of calls with church planters, and um, a lot of times they'll ask me, you know, just be honest with me about my church. What do you see? Every now and again, I'll be a secret shopper or something like that. And when I'm honest with them, I just say, you know, I don't think I'd go to your church. 
There's just not any love there. Your people are just mean. They're just nasty. I, I, don't, I don't understand what this is all about. And I say that to say this, that we have a, a mission in our church, which is to reach people who don't know Jesus or to reach people who have given up on church as usual. And you can't do that if there's no love in the place. If there's no sacrifice in the place, people won't have any use for it. You can't reach people if we can't love each other first. Now hang, hang, hang on, because this is going to get hard here in a minute, okay? Jesus is preparing his disciples to go and make an impact in the world. Like, at the time he speaks these things to them, they could never have imagined. They were on the, on the verge of something that was so much beyond even their wildest dreams. And I think in the same way, we sort of sit at, at a similar place. I think we're right on the edge of God doing something in our church that we never imagined. And before they go out in the world to make a difference for him, he tells them that they won't be able to do that if they can't love each other first. Because the people out there will never be attracted to this place. Look, video screens, lights, projectors, Cool paint, a building, signs, all that stuff only goes so far. All that stuff's what's on the outside, but it's what's on the inside that matters. And if there's no love, then forget it. A love for each other and a love for the people who are not there yet. I've been reminded all week about how important people are. You know, because I'm the lead pastor around here, I get, I get way too much, way, way more credit than I should for things. Wow, Jimmy, look what you've done. Wow, look what you've made happen. Wow, this is really awesome. You must be a good leader. And I think about Donnie back there and Teresa here and Amy, our trustees, leaders, volunteers, those of you who put in hours every week for free. You work all day and you work half the night for the church. You give so much. You do so much. I've had guys over the last several weeks that have looked at our people from the outside in and they've just looked in at amazement. People who don't know Jesus. And they've been like, wow, the people here are amazing.
And some of them don't know enough to be able to say, wow, these people really love the Lord because they don't understand how all that works. They just think, wow, these people really love each other. You have something special here. My dad, whose company has been doing our floors for the last, I don't know, three weeks or so for us. They're, they're about finished now. But my, my dad and he and my mom are Christians. And my dad has said, I'm jealous of you. I'm jealous of your people. So I'd give anything if there was a church down at Myrtle Beach that me and your mom could be a part of like this. Not just because I'm a smart aleck sometimes. I said, you know, we're jealous of you too. We, we'd give anything if we could, if we had an ocean here similar to the one that you have there. And he said, no, 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 I'm serious. I'm serious. I, I'm jealous that you have a congregation of people like this. I'd love to be able to be a part of something like this. And what all of that is, what it all boils down to, is a great love that we have for each other. I I look around at some of the people that are in this room, and uh, we haven't always agreed on things. There have been times when we hadn't liked each other, if you want to know the truth about it. But even though we have our differences, the thing that we have in common is that we have a bond of love. I was reminded of that just over the last few days. I took a couple in our church through a a tour of the the building, just just the three of us. And... um, She used to be on staff here. And she's not anymore. And it doesn't really matter why. But most people would have just left. I might have left if you don't know the truth. But they didn't. I probably admire them as much as anybody I've ever pastored because they care so much about our church and each other. And even though we had differences, there's a bond of love between us that couldn't separate us and still doesn't to this day. A church has to have that. It makes me proud to say that we do. Because without it, you can't, you can't reach people because there's nothing to attract people to. And then Jesus finishes up, and this is where I'm going to finish up because I'm going to start reflecting too much here and I'm going to start crying. I don't want to do that today. Maybe next week. Jesus says, listen, guys, what this is all about, the reason I'm gathering you up, the reason I'm telling you to love each other, to be willing to die for each other, is because I want you to go out into the world and bring other people in. He's saying to those disciples, I don't want this to be the end of it. I don't want it to just be this group of people. I want this to be an ever-expanding circle. 
I want you to love each other with a sacrificial love where you're willing to die to your own self so that the other person can live. I want you to be willing to be wrong so that the other person can be right. I don't even want you to think about your own rights anymore. I want you to think about the rights of the other person. And when you've got that right, when you've got that part of it right, when you know how to love each other with the kind of love that you're willing to die for the other person, I want you to export that love. I want you to take that to other people who need to know that same kind of love. You know what's interesting about Jesus is... Jesus always seemed to be more preoccupied with those he didn't have than those he did have. And a great example of that is in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15. Jesus tells three stories. He tells a story about a man who had 100 sheep. He lost one, left the 99 to go and find the one. He told a story about a woman who had 10 coins. She lost one, misplaced one, had nine, but she left the nine to go and find the one. And then he talked about a father who had two sons... One of them was lost. He still had another son. And instead of being satisfied with the one, he waited and waited and waited on the one that was lost. I hope that this is good news because this is a part of the good news. But in a way, it might seem like bad news. But the news is... I think Jesus is more preoccupied with the people who are not here than with the people who are here. So I want to tell you one more time today. I want you to hear me because when we move over there, I don't want you to be able to come up to me and say, wait a minute, I didn't know it was going to be like this. I thought everything was going to be about us. I'm telling you, it's not about us. It's about the people who are not here It's about that one sheep that's missing. It's about the value of the person who doesn't know Jesus. It's about the son who is prodigal and gone and is not here, but needs to be here. Because let me tell you something, the temptation is going to be for us to go over in that building and just sit back and relax and say, oh, we've got a building, we've got a copier, we're a real church. We're not portable anymore. And to start thinking, well, this is all about us. What, what does the church have to offer me? The church has to offer you a place to come and give up all your rights, die to yourself, so that we can go out and reach people who don't know the hope that we have experienced through Christ. And it's as though Jesus would say to us, listen, I love you, but, but I still have sons who are out there blowing their whole lives and maybe their eternity too because they won't stop sucking on a crack pipe. They need me. You have to go tell them about me. You're important, but help me or move out of the way. You are important to me, But I have daughters out there who are walking the streets, selling their body to put poison in their veins. They need me. You've got to go tell them about me. I know you're important. 
I love you, I've saved you, but I've called you to join me because I still have people out there who are walking through life, living in darkness, aimlessly going through life. They need me. It's not about you. It's about them. It's about them. It's about the people who are not here this morning. Man, I love seeing you guys like this. You know preachers like big crowds, don't you? Do you know that? You know the only people who like big churches are preachers anyway, don't you? I I don't know how big Rocky River may grow someday, but I've never had anybody visit or... or, uh, you know, people who have been here for years and years, I've never had anybody come out, shake my hand on the way out the door and say, you know what, I can't wait till this place is just so big that you don't even recognize me anymore. Nobody ever does that. People aren't, they're not, they're not looking for that. And as good as you look, and as much as I love you, I'm preoccupied with those who are not here. I love missionaries. I love missionaries that go to other countries. I celebrate that so much. I tried to do that. I'm just not called. Not to go somewhere else. I was called to come to this area and plant a church to reach people. Because you know the people who live here are just as important as they are anywhere else in the world. A lot of churches have lost sight of that. But Karen and I came to this community to start a church for people who have never been to church or people who have given up on church as usual. And the thing I love most about being right here at this time in this place, about to go into that building, is because I get to bury something that has been on my back for years. Next Sunday, I get to lead our congregation through the front door of our own building. And I don't have to worry about buildings for a while. I can be the missionary God planted me here to be. And I'm telling you that the more this construction is lifted off of me, the more there is a burn inside of me to reach the people in this community who do not know Jesus. I'm preoccupied with those who are not here today. I love you. We love each other. And my challenge is to turn that love now toward our community and love them into the kingdom. This is my commandment, that you love one another. Let's pray together. Father, I want to thank you for... I, I don't know if 
we'd call it a sermon, but just an opportunity to share a little bit about what's been on my heart. I thank you first for the love of Jesus, because without that, I mean, love wouldn't really have a meaning at all. But truly, Jesus has shown us what love is all about. And we're reminded of that during this season of the year. We're right at the edge of Easter, and so the cross is on our mind. Jesus didn't just talk about love, but he showed it. He didn't just say, I want you to be willing to give your lives for one another. He spread his arms out on a cross, truly, and laid his life down so that we could know him, trust him, and have an eternal hope because of him. So we're grateful for that. Lord, we're grateful for the call that, the same call that you extended to those 12 disciples all those years ago. Come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. God, sometimes that is really hard. It sounds simple, and I guess it is simple, but it's just not always easy because it's not, it's not easy to give up our rights. We live in a country that's based on individual rights, and to think about giving those up, just it goes against our grain of who we are as a people. So I pray that you would just change the grain, that you would make us people who can just love each other, be willing to sacrifice for each other, God, sometimes that means biting a hole through our lip. We don't have to say everything we think. You know how hard that is for me. Just give us a just a a fresh sense of wanting to care for other people and put their rights over our rights. Help us, God, to love each other so that we can love the community around us. Lord, I know that there are people all over this world who need people to go to them in the name of Jesus, to take food and water and shelter and the things that we take for granted living here in America. So, God, as we, as we do some of those things, I just pray that we would never lose sight of the fact that we are a church that has a mission right here in this community. You don't have to go to Africa to find African children that need help and guidance and food and some of the basics. And go four miles down the road right here and find all the African-American children, poor white children, Hispanic children, people all over the place around here that need Jesus. And I pray that that would just stir inside of us and that as we make this transition and this move to this building, that it would just be all over us that we just have to be about reaching out to other people. God, we know that gets messy. It gets sloppy sometimes. But again, help us to love each other and love others. And that's how we love you. 
God, this song that we're about to sing as a congregation is a song of surrender. It's I surrender all. And I pray that as we sing it today, it would be a prayer, a prayer of submission where we would each say, I surrender all. Some may feel it in their heart to surrender their lives to you for the very first time. So during this song, they they may just say in, in their own way, but to a God who's listening, and they don't have to say it out loud. They can say it in their heart and mind. You're the God who searches hearts and minds. They can just say, right now, God, I surrender my life to you. I surrender to following you. God, some of us have been Christians uh, for years and years and years. And over those years, it's just gotten really easy to make things about us. And so we need to surrender our lives to you. I pray that that would be our prayer while we sing this song. That we could have a fresh sense of surrender today. I surrender, I surrender, I surrender all. God, I pray that corporately as a congregation that we would be willing to say today whatever it takes, we surrender all. Whatever it takes to reach our community, I surrender all. Whatever it takes for us to reach out to our lost friends and family, people that we don't even know, perfect strangers, whatever it takes, we'll do it. We surrender all. Jesus, it's in your name that we pray.